Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a fierce collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. And today we're talking about women's health with Elizabeth Cormier May. Elizabeth is the CEO of Mamagen Inc. and CEO of Dragonfly Data Ventures Inc. When this chemist turned entrepreneur peeled back the medical mystery behind why 42 million women between the ages of 18 to 40 in the U.S. aren't eligible for breast cancer screening, she decided to do something about it. Liz refuses to accept the medical reason why because the accuracy of the current screening tests, mammograms, for this age group is no better than a coin toss. This is unacceptable to Liz and her team. The status quo has got to go. She is planning to change things so that women are no longer grossly underserved in the healthcare community by meaningfully improving every aspect of women's health, including helping to detect earlier, diagnose easier, and treat better from end to never end. And wow, we are so ready for it. Please help us welcome Elizabeth Cormier-May. Hi, Liz. Thank you. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm totally pumped to be here and be talking about this with you ladies today. Oh, we're excited. We can't wait. And it's such an important topic. You know, we as women are constantly trying to push the envelope to have these discussions. So we're so ready to have this discussion with you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So we're, I mean, you've piqued our interest for sure on what is happening in the medical industry for women's health. So we're going to start right at the beginning by discussing how you came to be on this journey, talking about important issues for women. How did this start? Sure. Sure. Um, For me, it really started as a scientist. As you said, I started as a medicinal chemist. I worked on early discovery oncology programs. So really that means I was making compounds, hoping that maybe someday one of them might be biologically important enough to stop a pathway, start a pathway, stop cancer, cure cancer, stop recurrence. And so um, I did that for a few years and then realized I was a million miles away from the patient. For me, I felt like I was a million miles away. I didn't know if anything I was ever working on was going to impact a life. And I needed something a little bit closer to the patient experience. And that's when I decided, and this was nearly 20 years ago, that diagnostics, in my mind, is really the answer. Therapeutics are so important, but we cannot treat what we cannot diagnose. And the earlier we can find disease and intervene, not just the better the outcomes are for patients, but I would almost argue just as if not more importantly, we can preserve quality of life. If we can catch disease early and often, we give patients, and not just the women's health, this is across the board, we give patients opportunities to thrive rather than just survive. And I'll assure you, ladies, I spent quite a bit of time talking to hundreds and hundreds of, in this case, breast cancer patients. And it is 
the one thing, the one thing that is in common with every single person I talk to, no matter where in her journey, and I also did talk to male breast cancer patients as well, but where in their journey they are, is that I wish somebody had told me what the rest of my life was going to be after I was quote unquote cured, after I'm a survivor. Nobody prepares you for that part. And in a way that we can kind of prepare people for that is by talking about all the things I'm sure we'll talk about today, but also by giving them an opportunity to catch their disease when when survival rates and life preservation is at 99%, not 25%, right? So so diagnostics to me have always been the key to unlock not just better outcomes, not just survival, but opportunities for women to thrive post their diagnosis. I love that. I'm just, I, it's so important. And and we talked about that end to never end community. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is so key in terms of, you know, you were talking about how to prepare for life after. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I'd love to talk a bit more about that in terms yes. of can you share more about the concept and the importance of that community for women. Yes. So Mama Jen is special for so many reasons, but one of them is we spend just as much time building our communities. And I always say our goal is to try to build the bridge between science and community and patient journey. We have, the world has so many wonderful companies doing wonderful research, coming out with products that are revolutionizing the way um, we treat, we diagnose. But the problem is that clinical world is still completely and entirely separate from the patient journey. Mamagen refuses to believe that that's the correct way to do things. So we are building our community at the same time as we are building our clinical products that are in development. And I'll give you a really concrete example of what that looks like. So last month, we launched an e-commerce venture called Mamagen Marketplace. This in and of itself has never been done in diagnostics before, right? E-commerce and diagnostics seem, seem a million miles away, right? But they're not. Because Mamagen Marketplace is right now an e-commerce venture where you can buy Mamagen logo gear. Oh, I'm wearing one like this. And there's tons of other things. But that is just a way to allow us to fund all of the things that we are working on right now. That's just step one. Mamagen Marketplace is going to become a haven of resources of things from things like, how do I interview a breast surgeon? What happens on day one of diagnosis? What questions do I ask all the way through to how how I should prepare myself for seeing my body the first time after a mastectomy to why is sex with my partner completely and entirely differently different now than it was post-diagnosis to why didn't anybody ever tell me that chronic lymphedema was hugely prevalent in breast cancer survivors. So right. Mm -hmm. All of these things that hit on different parts of the journey, but that are just as important as being diagnosed and being treated. Um, I had a handful of women who all told me something during some of my interviews with them. Um, And it was the day they were diagnosed was not the scariest day. The day that they graduated from their care team and rang the bell in the cancer Mm -hmm. center, that was the scariest day because now they were going back out into the world. And according to the world, they're cured. They're survivors. They're ready to hop right back into their regular life, except they're not. They're not the same person. Their bodies are not the same. Their relationships are not the same. Their experiences are not the same. So how can we possibly expect them to go back and be 
pre-cancer, Liz, right? You can't, yeah. you can't have that expectation. So, okay, how, how do we build tools for them? How do we build communities for them? How do we build support systems, safe places to ask questions? Other people who might be going through the same thing. That's Mamagen Marketplace. That is what we mean when we say from end to never end. This journey does not end. Being a survivor is not the end. It is, it is a constant, evolving, personalized experience. Yeah. And we aim to give tools to women and men and their loved ones who are going through this where they can decide what tools are important to them at what pieces yeah. and really have the best chance at thriving and not just surviving. I loved that. And when I was doing, you know, reading up about you and, 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 uh, and Mama Jen, like I just, I, I loved that there was all this support. So, um, for women in terms of it doesn't matter what stage they were at just some of the questions that maybe they didn't even aren't even registering in terms of where mm-hmm. their minds are and the spaces they the the consequences of things further down the line that they're not even yeah. thinking about now but it was um a community to help support them in those different areas so uh I just think that's incredible. Oh, it's so important, right? And Grace and I have a really good friend that is currently um, going through some issues for the second time um, from breast cancer. And so, you know, just knowing that as friends, we can say, you know, look, we only understand maybe a fraction of what's happening in your life right now, but here's a community we can, you know, show you and like, maybe yeah. this is a good fit for you. I think that is such an important part, right? But, you know, also it's for the people really, on the other side. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a really important part. And, you know, up until now, the advocacy and community pieces of the journey have been so separate from the clinical pieces. And I just think that's such a dangerous mistake because yeah. they go hand in hand. Your clinical experience affects your community experience. And, and, you know, truthfully, I mean, I've been challenged on this before. And I'll tell you, launching Mamagen Marketplace has brought so many wonderful people into our lives, clinical partners, community partners, um, supporters of all different types. We're creating brand recognition. We are creating a a, a community that's going to fuel the adoption of our product while our product is still in development. We're doing so many wonderfully important, impactful things on both the business side and the human side. And I cannot understand why more people don't approach the clinical development phase of a diagnostic company in this manner. I just mm. don't get it. Well, that's why that makes you a trailblazer here, right? Because <laughs> it, it should make more sense, right? And, and so maybe this is just what's happening. You were called to do this work, right? Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about detection because, you know, obviously breast cancer, it's, it's the most common cancer among Mm -hmm. Canadian women in particular, but most women, um, second leading cause of death from cancer. And most of us know women who've been impacted by breast Mm -hmm. cancer, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's someone close to us or someone it's just unfortunate, but all of us will know someone who's gone through this. I'd yep. love if you could share how Mamagen is helping early detection where mammograms are failing. Cause you know, that yeah. was a part of your bio that really stuck out to me. What makes Mamagen different in that mm. detection phase? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I first want to start by saying, you know, I think a lot of people 
forget that physicians are humans too, right? And they are only as good as the tools that we as an industry create for them. They're only as good as the innovation that's available. They're also entirely overwhelmed by by everything that comes along with being a provider in today's world. So I want to be very careful about how I how I position Mama Jen's uh, tools, because that's really all they are. They're tools for a physician to implement. And right now, their toolbox is pretty empty when it comes to early detection. They have mammograms, but mammograms have been around for 100 years. Sure, there's been some improvement. There's 3D mammography now, right? And, and there's different types of imaging like MRI now. But in the grand scheme of things, it, it really only serves about half of the population. So for women under 40, and now actually many women over 40, dense breasts is a huge problem. Yeah. Mammograms. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're too. both raising our hands. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm one of them too, right? Yeah. Um, so every time I go for a mammogram, they say, I don't know. Then I go for an ultrasound. Then I ultimately end up going for an MRI. And it's, it's an experience that millions and millions of us share with one another. Um, that is because mammograms are good at looking at dense breasts. They can't see what they're supposed to be seeing. And, and in dense breasted women, no better than a coin fox, literally 47% effective. That is not wow. good enough. No. That is not good enough. So um, then the next question is, okay, well, well, then what? Well, what do we do? And early detection up until now has been a bit elusive, not because people don't want to detect disease early. Um, but I argue that it's because we were looking in the wrong places. And here's why. Um, everybody's familiar with DNA now, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of, that, that's just a thing between 23andMe and <laughs> and all of the at-home tests that companies like Everly Health offer us. And uh, there are a number, actually most of science is looking at DNA. And DNA has done a really, really great job answering questions in later stage disease, whether it's what treatment is going to work for me, what treatment won't work for me, how likely am I to recur? How likely am I to get the, the really bad type um, of disease? And those are all questions that are coming after you're diagnosed, as you're either starting or in the middle of or finishing treatment. And DNA has been great at that. And there's a really good reason why, because in order for us to detect what our DNA is doing, all of that information that I just talked about, that all comes from the tumor itself. All of those decisions have to do with what kind of tumor, what genes are in there, what's happening inside. And so for that to be true, that tumor has got to pop up, live, survive, die. And then in liquid biopsy, which is the space we're in, which means we're not looking from tissue, we're looking at things floating around in our blood and our saliva and all of our biofluids, that tumor then has to shed into all of those biofluids, and then we have to detect it. Ladies, that by definition is not early detection. (laughs) If we're we're to do its dirty work before we even start looking for it, then that is not early detection. So that's why DNA has been wonderful in answering late stage questions. So then as the industry said, wait a minute, we're answering all these really important questions on this end of the spectrum. Let's apply DNA to early detection and see what happens there has not been a large amount of success for good reason, Mm -hmm. right? But uh, what we do at Mamagen and at our our parent company, IV Bioholdings, is we look at RNA. 
and this is why. RNA is different than DNA. And in some ways, COVID was a blessing for us because RNA, now everybody knows what that is, right? Yeah. Messenger RNA is a, is a familiar thing now. Um, and PCR is a technology, is a familiar thing for all of us now. So RNA is wonderful for answering early detections because we're not looking at what's coming from the tumor. We're looking at what's happening inside our bodies when there is a change in our steady state, when a disease pathway pops up, when something new happens, our RNA expression profiles change. And think of RNA as the language of the cell. It's telling everything else kind of what to do and what's going on. So when there is a change, like a disease process, like cancer that is happening, our RNA expression profiles change immediately. So mm -hmm. what we've done is we have found 26 messenger RNA biomarkers that tell us nearly immediately when there is breast cancer in a woman's body. And I'm talking about true early detection. We are detecting stage zero and stage one disease from blood and saliva. And that is paradigm. That is huge. That is huge because, you know, I, I've, mentioned this on other episodes, but I've gone through not breast cancer, but other cancer treatments. And one was perfectly found in blood work, but two others. So I've had three, two others, um, can't be traced at all through blood work. And so with, with breast cancer, it's one of those things too, that I've always been told, yeah, you should watch for it, mm -hmm. but it's just a regular routine mammogram every year. Let's see how it goes. And, mm -hmm. and for a long time, I've said to myself, that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. how is that possible? Right. I, and you just explained it so beautifully and simply, like you just talked beautiful science in a way that was very easy to digest. And so that gives me a lot of hope for what Mamagen can do. What a, what an incredible avenue. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit floored it, <laughs> actually. It really is. It, it's wonderful. Some days it feels like magic, um, being able to bring a product to market that is going to so meaningfully change the patient experience when it comes to breast health is yeah. a wonderful, wonderful feeling. It's huge. So where, where are you on that journey right now? So is, mm. is, are the tests available right now? Is that something that people can request or is it still in Not development phase? Yeah. We are still, we are still in development. So we are finishing right now what's called assay development. That means we're taking all of our research and development and turning it into the physical test, the test that you'll take. Then that test is being deployed into clinical trials um, around the United States. I will tell you another thing that makes Famagen quite different is that we have already studied this test on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women before we're ever even launching into clinical trials. And that is also a really important part of our strategy. Uh, mm -hmm. It mitigates our risk business-wise and clinically, but also it's telling us that we are looking at all types of women from all backgrounds, diagnosing cancer across all stages, even though the early detection is really what's important, but 
hey, you know what? If somebody else went to stage four metastatic cancer and we could find it, that's a huge win too, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So yeah. um, all of these questions that a lot of times aren't answered until clinical trial, we already have a tremendous amount of data indicating to us that we are we are truly doing something that has not been done before when it comes to early detection and breast health. And that is tremendously exciting because we have done it on very little capital when it comes to comparatively speaking in diagnostic companies. We are launching this test on a PCR platform where much of the rest of the world is focusing on next generation sequencing. And while next generation sequencing is wonderful and there's tons of data that comes out of that, very expensive. It is a tremendous cost burden to our systems and our patients who are paying for them out of pocket. They are not nearly as deployable or scalable. And these are all things that we need to start talking about. Next generation sequencing is wonderful for R&D. It does not always have to be applied commercially. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are big believers Mamagen at our sister companies, all of our tests are PCR. And that is by choice. That is by design. Because if I am unlocking, if we are unlocking early detection, but the world can't afford it, what is the point? Yeah, I love that. I love that. There's a couple of things there that I really love. I love the fact that you're aware of the, the cost that it is on on, on both the patient and on the system. And I yeah. love the fact that it doesn't matter what background you come from, um, who you That's are, it. where you are, you can still access this. Oh my gosh. And it's, that brings us nicely to women's health in general is often so underserved and there can be so many dis- discrepancies based on women's age. So how, um, how does um, Mamagen serve in all women and not just mm. those over a certain age? I know you've talked about... Yeah. Um, because, you know, the mammogram is is predominantly for the old women, but it's older. You said yeah. older there, right? Yes. Not yeah. older. <laughs> older women. Yeah, um, yeah there's, it's, 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 there it's are so great... many discrepancies with women's, in, women's health are. in general. It's just, there are. Ah, sorry. I know. It is frustrating. And I share in that frustration. And our flagship program in breast cancer, we're really targeting the women who don't have access to yearly mammograms. So that's your 18 to 40 year olds. And in the United States, it's many women 55 and older as well are recommended for mammograms every other year. Well, Mm. guess what? We all know cancer doesn't wait for your mammogram year to hit, right? So um, we're starting by targeting those patients that normally wouldn't have access to a yearly mammogram. But it goes so much deeper than that. Because even when half of these women, and and just by the way, in the United States, that's almost 100 million women. Wow. 100 million women, okay? That's crazy. Um, but it goes a level deeper, right? Because even, even in a world where 20 and 30-year-olds could routinely access mammograms, it wouldn't matter because the majority of them have dense breasts and yeah. they're not going to get the information they need. So there are so many layers to peel back when it comes to how do we define an underserved community? What do we do for them? How do we integrate new diagnostics without completely disrupting the workflow? Our goal is not to replace mammography. Our goal is to send the right woman to the right type of imaging Mm -hmm. at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. That we are here to be a complement, not a replacement. We we will always still need mammography. 
Because even when the Gentry test, that's what our test will be called. Even when the Gentry test says, hey, Liz, you have cancer. Somebody's got to go find it. They have to find it in my breast, right? It's yeah. not going to tell you it's in the right breast, in the lower, like that's not, right? It's just telling you it's there. Imaging is still so important to the total pathway. So I want to be very clear about that. We are not replacing imaging. We are sending the right woman to the right intervention, the right time. Yeah. And, and catching I, it earlier. Yeah. yeah. And then you have that community there, which is, which is what I love. So, you know, for those women that are under younger who are mm-hmm. um, experiencing or, or getting notified that they have, yeah. have a breast cancer or a disease or, or whatever it is, there is a lot of decisions that need to be made. And so That's having that fun. community that you've developed to support those women when they get mm-hmm. this diagnosis to know that now their life's been turned upside down, what sort of things should they be thinking about? You know, have they had children? Oh, are they planning on having children? You know, what, like the, the fact that you've got this community to help support them in that way is just, I. It's such a huge part of it. And Grace, I'll tell you, this is something that goes back to the very first thing I said, that building the community is just as important as building the clinical product. And yeah. here's a really real example. If you, if we diagnose stage zero and stage one disease from blood and saliva, that means we're likely detecting the tumor at a size smaller than one centimeter. That means that let's just look at the patient experiences versus the later state can't be yeah. it anything bigger or later than that, which is the vast majority of diagnosis. Let's look at what that patient journey looks like on the early detection side. It is lumpectomy versus mastectomy. It's potentially no chemo versus months and months of chemo. It's likely no radiation versus months of radiation. Now let's just Think about that for a minute. We have now preserved not just a clinical outcome, but a life. Yeah. Yeah. We preserved a lifestyle, something that is so much closer to who and what she was before she found out she had breast cancer. And oh, hey, by the women, by the way, to the your point, Grace, for women who are still in the family planning stage, we've bought them time. Yeah. Time to think about where they are in that process, time to sit down and talk with a reproductive endocrinologist about preserving her eggs, if that's something she wants or needs to do. Time to talk to her partner and say, I don't think I'm done, or we haven't started. What the heck are we going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. And these are very real things, especially for young women, because young women are more likely to get diagnosed with a very aggressive form of breast cancer, and they're most likely to recur. Yeah, we're not and disease routinely. What the heck does, does anything about that sound right? No. Yeah. So, yeah. And these women often from the day they're diagnosed to the day they start treatment is a week. Do you think you can get a, a an appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist in a week? Do you think yeah, you can process the decisions that need to be made around family planning in a week? No. <laughs> women who don't have anything else to think about can't answer those questions in a week. Yeah. It's craziness. So, you know, when you talk about all those different things and we say, you know, how does that make any sense? Does it make sense? I actually have a very curious question because, you know, on the one hand, I think it's really important to share Mama Jen is a female led team. Obviously, you know, you're at the head of that, but a lot of your investors are also female. Um, Is it, I mean, 
we talk about the patriarchy sometimes and the fact that so many things are built to the detriment in society against women. Is it valid to ask the question, you know, is this the way it is right now? Are we trying to fix a broken system because it wasn't built by women for women? Is that where we're at right now? That's a huge part of it. I mean, did you guys know that women weren't even included in clinical trials till like 1992? Like, how's that even a thing? How's that even a thing? So when we, so, so when we talk about why we are where we are in women's health, it's because we don't have as many data points and women's health is still considered a niche investment. Do you know how many investment firms I've talked to that say, "Uh, we don't do women's health. What the hell do you mean? You don't do women's health. Do you not have women at home? Do you not have daughters? Do you not have sisters? What What do you mean we don't do women's health? Women's Women's health isn't just about breast health and uteruses and vagina and fertility and sexuality. It's about empowering women with options and decisions and data so that they can be healthy. Because you know what happens to communities and businesses where women aren't healthy? They fail. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, we've talked about this in an episode where, you know, menopause, people- People don't talk about menopause because, you know, women are hysterical. Women go through these crazy times right. when they're on yeah. their periods and stuff. Well, right? we found, yeah. And we found out recently, I, I, I don't know if this is um, just in Canada or, but menopause was an optional subject for doctors, for family doctors to take when they're studying. It wasn't even a compulsory. <laughs> and you just think, right. that half so of your half patients, of the global population yeah. is going through it. For sure, and it's you, optional. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make sense. We ever went out and said, you know what? We're not going to treat erectile dysfunction. It's it's optional. Deal with it. Right. Well, and then you look at what's covered by, so, you know, obviously things are different between the U S and Canada, but look at what's covered, you know, women's, you know, there's talk about period poverty and the fact that women's menstrual health products are not covered. And yet Viagra is a hundred percent covered. How does that make any sense? It's because the system is built by men for men, but women continue to be marginalized and put aside. So the fact that you've built something that is by women for women in support of women, I mean, obviously you are speaking our language. um, It just doesn't make sense to so many of us why it hasn't been done before. And yet it does make sense because women like you haven't been at the forefront of putting this kind of work forward. So I just want to thank you for uh, for the work that you're doing because obviously this is massive massive importance for what's out there and what can be detected. Um I just it blows my mind for what you're doing and the fact that it's taken this long to have it be done. So I need to ask you how close are we yeah. to being able to get a gen true test? If we just wanted to, I, I remember it. <laughs> we are, we well, did remember it. We are pretty close. Our goal is to have this test in the market before the close of next fiscal year. That oh is my, my goal. Um, so by the, before the end of 2023, that, that is our goal. It may be early 2024, but it's not going to be much longer than that. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. So we will be championing everything yep. that you're doing, you know, that, and, and we're going to take this conversation offline after, cause I know that there's a couple of things we'd love yeah. to do to, 
to help continue this conversation. Um, I know. I love that. Oh, we have so much that we can do together and it's important work, like we said, and, and, you know, if we're not going to do it for each other, we're not going to wait for some men to do it for us. Right. So that's right. That's right. And, and you know what, for the first time we're in a really unique moment in women's health, we are, we are seeing it from every angle. There are investment firms that are only putting their money towards women's health. Now there are investment firms that are run by women that in and of itself is wonderful. Because to your point, you know what research and innovation and productivity takes money. So there's no, there should be no surprise to anybody that there's still so many underserved women's health indications because that's not where the money's gone. Mm -hmm. And and for the most part, it's still not where the money's going. Um, If I have one more person tell me we don't invest in women's health, I might just lose my mind. (laughs) How can they say that to you? People actually say that? Oh, yeah. Wow. See, I... I know. It oh blows my gosh! My mind. I can't. I just I, like, I can't lost my comprehend words. it. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm oh, shocked. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Okay. So we mm-hmm. know what's coming next for you. We know the work that you're doing is incredibly important. You know, we're not closing our conversation just yet because we do have to go into some rapid fire questions. But as we kind of close out this interview component, you know. If there's someone listening out there and they're hearing that, you know, there are options coming in the future, what can they do now? Do you have any advice you can give them now to try and put themselves first in finding Mm. different things and listening to their body? Yeah. As women, we are not good at that, right? Mm -hmm. We take care of, we take care of everybody around us before we take care of ourselves. And I am no exception. I have a husband who I can only do what I do because he's so wonderful. I have two children who are my life. I have multiple companies that I run. I have friends that I try to squeeze in when I can here and there, right? So oftentimes I do not take care of myself or listen to my own body. And that has to be first. We cannot take care of others until we take care of ourselves. Um, And that is an active decision that needs to be made. That is not Mm -hmm. something that passively just happens. So make that decision. Listen to your body. Do not cancel your mammogram appointments because your kid has soccer practice. Do not miss your well woman visit because somebody has a field trip. Those things are important. You have to stay healthy to keep the ones you love healthy. So first and foremost, that's a daily decision that needs to be made. If you feel like poop, stay in bed a little bit longer. Mm. Let, Let your partner help you. Um, if you can't get through a meeting because you are physically or mentally overwhelmed, take a half a day, do the things that you normally would never do. Um, because you have to do it. You have to, we have to start prioritizing ourselves in those moments. Yeah. And, and we have to surround ourselves with people who don't think that's odd. (laughs) People who, who support us in those decisions. So that's first and foremost. When it comes to how do we take care of ourselves with our providers and within our systems, don't be afraid to ask the questions. Don't be afraid to say, that's not good enough, doc. I don't feel good and you're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to find another physician who will listen to you. Don't be afraid to reach out to companies like Mammogen 
our product isn't available for you yet, but it will be. And as part of building companies like this, we have so many wonderful relationships. And reach out to the, the innovators in your space. Reach out to the companies, young companies, mature companies, established companies. They have pools. They mm -hmm. have networks. Tap into them. Yeah. yeah. That's I awesome. love that you said that part about, you know, asking the questions and, you know, advocating for yourself with whoever you're seeing in the medical industry is a huge component. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's something that we've mentioned a couple of times here. You know, you do have to really, I think I just recently told someone, just be a bitch about it if you have to, yeah. like, just don't stop, right? Just yeah. don't stop because right. it can, it can mean your life or not. It can. Right. That's, that's right. That's now, right. I would love to see a day where what you're developing becomes part of every woman's every year annual exam. Hey, you know what? We're doing your blood work and you're also going to take this little test here, yeah. um, you know, with the reminders about pap smears and all of that mm -hmm. stuff, because yeah. I love that you've built that into what is possible. So I am excited for you to email us one day and say, hey, girls, guess what? It's happening. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I will. I will. Huge. Oh my gosh. Okay. We need to get into some rapid fire questions because um, somehow, like I feel this could have been probably a three-part series here, um, but we're going to, we're going to throw some questions at you to close this up. Just really fun questions. Cause you've given us so much incredible knowledge and wisdom. So thank you for that. Now we're going to take it a bit later. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to start with this question. Okay. Where is your favorite place in the world to be at home with my family yeah I like nothing that. beats it <laughs> okay if you have a theme song what would it be well if you should have my, a theme song well my daughter told me that my daughter's six and a half she told me that my theme song should be this girl is on fire Oh, oh, that's awesome. That's, that is that's so pretty cool. good that your daughter says I that. I know. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. That she's recognizing that that's the theme song. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. So I'm so taking that. Future, yeah. yeah, future CEO there too, right? Um, okay. What is one product or thing in your life that you couldn't get through the day without? Probably my Apple Watch. Mm. runs your day mm -hmm. it it runs my day it reminds me to make healthy decisions it's one piece of the data that I collect about myself wouldn't it be great if there was a way I could bring all those together and use mm -hmm. them for me mm. uh -huh. there's a little teaser for dragonfly data ventures for you guys there but <laughs> yeah. um uh but yeah I I I'm obsessed with closing my rings with having having access to data at all times when and when and how I want it. It's not always a good thing. You know, emails come through there too, but, yeah. but, um, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty addicted to my Apple watch. Good. My list for a while, actually, that's something you've yeah. just kind of re sparked that I'm going to mm -hmm. put that on my birthday and, and Christmas list this year. I think yeah. it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Then go in the other end. What would be a guilty pleasure? Oh, wine. <laughs> <laughs> Any kind? <laughs> I, I, I'm a Pinot Noir girl. Nice. Very nice and bold. Yeah. I love yeah. it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you this one. What is your word for this year? 
only one word. Perseverance. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. This must be a very, you know, the work that you do, I can only imagine the ups and downs that it must bring. That seems like a perfect fit for you. Yeah. It is a roller coaster. So I always say, I don't need drugs. I, my, my job is, my jobs are drugs. It's, it's the <laughs> wildest roller coaster you could ever be on entrepreneurship. <laughs> okay. Um, I've got one for you. What was the last thing that you got in trouble for? Ooh, like at home or at work? Anywhere. <laughs> doesn't matter. You can reveal. Mm, the last thing I got in trouble for. Um, well, my husband and, or my son rather said I was embarrassing at his hockey tournament this weekend. So I was cheering for him. He got, he got player of the game and I went wild. I was like, <laughs> and he said I was embarrassing. So I guess that's the last thing I, that I counts. They get to mm-hmm. an age where you can't even, you know, shake the cowbell anymore. I used to just, no, like, yeah. I can't do any of that anymore. So that was no. so funny. They are, yeah. As they get older, they get through this. Yeah. It's so embarrassing, fun. mom. I know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the last one. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? Oh, great one. It's a hard one. Oh, that is a hard one. I mean, other than like reading a new book. Um, but you went somewhere new this week. We were having a chat before we started. I the did. I did go somewhere new. Yeah. I suppose I went to Jay Peak, Vermont this weekend for my son's aforementioned hockey tournament. And it was a wonderful new place. We played uh, Canadian teams for the first time. My son is nine. That was an experience. So I guess this weekend was like a whole bunch of new things for the first time. I love that. That's perfect. You are just a delight to chat with. We've learned so much. I I think there's so much we can take away and share with others from this episode today. And I really, you know, I hope for our listeners out there that you gained some insights on the world of women's health and the things that you can do, you know, to make a change. You know, we've, we've had speakers um, with Revolution Her that have said before, you know, you can't change the entire world, but you can change your world. And my mm-hmm. gosh, Liz, you are changing the entire world and your world. Oh. Impressive. Well, yeah. I appreciate that immensely. And honestly, we can't do it without people like you helping us get our story, our whys, our, our important questions out into the world. This is not a one person, one company, one team, one clinical indication job. This is going to take a whole network of people saying, you know what? Status quo is not good enough. It is not good enough. And I'm going to do things differently. And I'm going to think differently. I'm going to execute differently. And until more people start talking about that decision in and of itself, you know, we'll only continue to make just incremental change. And I suppose that's better than no change at all, but not good enough for me. Yeah. yeah. We we can all help to make that go a little bit quicker. So yeah, for sure. we'll, we will make sure that information is available for anyone listening. If they want to find out more about Mama Jen and you and the work that you're doing, um, we'll definitely be continuing to share you know, your journey, because I think it's so incredibly important. And, you know, Grace and I are just so thankful that you could be with us today. So for anyone out there listening, you know, if this 
episode inspired you or you heard something that you know will make an impact on some other woman's life, please share this podcast um, you know, with three other women that you can think of because together as a community, we can continue to uplift and inspire one another. Um, and until next time, we hope that you stay healthy. We hope that you continue to you know, amplify your own voice and um, continue to uplift the women around you as well. Liz, we can't wait to hear more along your journey. And until then, we hope you have an incredible time making this difference in the world. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. This was so much fun. And I love, this is some of the, my favorite parts of my job is being able to talk to new people and about what we do and how we do it. Cause it's truly, it's, it's one of the loves of my life. Oh, we can't wait to evident. see it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You. Well, we will talk to everyone soon. Thanks so much, Liz. Thank, thank you. you.